Thanks for joining us for the special Mid-East Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mid-East Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. In today's prophecy update with Pastor J.D., you'll be reminded of what it cost Jesus for you to be redeemed. Your sins didn't just magically disappear. Jesus freely offered himself in your place. For your sins, you were sentenced to an eternity separated from God. And Jesus painstakingly rescued you from sin's grip. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update at jdfarag.org. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on April 17th, 2022. I want to talk with you about how it is and why it is that the time has now come for every one of us, myself included, to face reality. And by face reality, I mean no longer can we or should we avoid the reality of what's happening in the world today, despite the many distractions, all of which clamor for our attention on a daily basis. For one, to avoid facing this reality can mean the difference between life and death, and infinitely, more importantly, heaven or hell. Doubtless many of you already know where I'm going with this, so I'm going to start with a scripture, Genesis 3.15, which is not only the first prophecy in the Bible, so too is it the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, the proto-evangelical which means the first gospel, the first mention of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Actually, Genesis sums up human history in three ways in the first three chapters. The creation of man, the sin of man, and the redemption of man. And then you reach this zenith of sorts in verse 15 of chapter 3, and we read, as God now pronounces the curse upon the serpent, and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and very important, between your seed and her seed, 
he shall bruise, some of your translations render it crush, I like crush better, crush your head, (laughs) a lot better than bruise your head, I like crush, way better, he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Wow. So packed, so full of so much, you know, woven into the fabric of this prophecy, this gospel first presented here is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ, which we're of course going to talk about, which is when Jesus will crush the head of this serpent, but not before the serpent bruises his heel. That's the crucifixion. He will bruise his heel, is speaking of the crucifixion, but he's going to crush your head. When he was resurrected, he defeated death, he defeated the devil, and he's going to come back and finally once and for all, for all eternity, crush the head of the serpent. I can't wait. Okay, I think you would agree with me that John 3.16 is the most well-known verse in all the Bible, right? I know this is deeply profound, but verses 14 and 15 come before verse 16. What does it say in verse 14, John 3? It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, question. What happened in the wilderness that was of such importance and that would rise to the level of having Jesus reference it here in what we know today as the most popular and known verse in all of Scripture? Answer, Numbers chapter 21. I love the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers gets a lot lot of bad press. For those of you that were with us through our study, verse by verse of the book of Numbers, one of the most fascinating studies in all the Bible. I know I say that about every book, but particularly the book of Numbers. Why? Because at at first, what's, what's the book of Numbers about? Sounds very boring. And it doesn't help when you say, well, the book of Numbers is about Numbers. (laughs) And, uh, but when you get into this book, there's so much that is recorded for us. And this account here in chapter 21 is such that the Savior would reference it as a prophecy that would point to Him. Okay. Let's begin in verse 4. 
Then they, speaking of the Israelites, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. This is modern-day Jordan. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. That's kind of an understatement. (laughs) And, verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So that's a reference to the manna. So what's the Lord's response? Verse 6, So the Lord (laughs) sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So, verse 9, Moses made a bronze serpent, and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. They were saved. This serpent on the pole was not only referenced by Jesus, it also paints a powerful prophetic picture of salvation found in Jesus. I want to just share with you, this is not exhaustive, but here is the prophetic typology, and it's the answer to the question of why this would rise to the level of the Savior Himself referencing this account that we just read. It points to Him. The serpent in the garden got Eve to look upon the tree, just as Jesus would have us look upon the cross. The serpent, of course, is a picture of sin. Jesus died as payment for our sin. He took upon Himself our sin. He became sin for us and died for us. Interesting detail, by the way, bronze in Scripture is a medal of judgment, a type of judgment. Jesus took the judgment upon Himself for us instead of us. The bronze snake 
is lifted up and put on the pole. Jesus was lifted up and he was put on the cross as judgment for our sin. And this is interesting, and it's actually throughout the pages of Holy Writ, you'll find the cross from the very beginning. This pole was in the shape of a cross, generations before the Romans would invent crucifixion as one of the most cruel and merciless ways of putting someone to death. Even when in the construction of the tabernacle, the arrangement of the seven, the number of completion furnishings in that tabernacle, and subsequently the temple in the shape of a cross. When the priests in their priestly service would make the offerings, they would make the wave offering, and it's not, you know, the wave offering, it's north, south, east, west, in the shape of a cross. These are just a few of numerous examples. In fact, here's one, speaking of the book of Numbers, right out of the chute. I want to say it's about Numbers chapter 6, where we have the numbers of the Israelites in their camps. I mean, it's uh, that's what the book of Numbers is about, the numbers, right? We have the actual numbers And it's recorded for us that you have a number of Israelites, you have 12 tribes divided into four camps, and to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And here's the number of the ones camped to the south. Here's the number of the ones camped to the north. Here's the number of the ones camped to the east. Here's the number of the ones camped to the west. And the tabernacle is right smack in the middle. You see where this is going? (laughs) This is John. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. That formation of those numbers at first read seemingly very boring is very powerful. Because those camps in those numbers was in the shape of a cross. Fast forward to Numbers 22, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, along with all the other chapters that are my favorite in all of the Bible. (laughs) We have this account of a guy by the name of, uh, uh, I'm getting him confused, Balaam, or Balaam, and this guy by the name of Balak, who paid Balaam big bucks to pronounce a curse on the Israelites, Why? Because they were threatened by the numbers of the Israelites. So he's hired to pronounce a curse upon them. And he's like, okay, sure. So he gets on his donkey. You know, this is a true story. It's not based on a true story. This actually happened. One of the reasons it's my favorite story is because as a pastor, if God can speak through a donkey... (laughs) He can speak through an Arab donkey too, I guess, right? So he gets on his donkey and heads out to pronounce this curse. And of course, 
the donkey tries to stop him and like, what are you doing? Are you kidding me right now? I mean, that's a very loose paraphrase. He didn't really say it like that. But and, and it's not so much that the donkey spoke to Balaam. It's that Balaam talks back to the donkey. Anyway, Numbers 22. It's, uh, wow. So he ends up, you know, getting back on the donkey, getting on his way, and he makes an attempt to pronounce this curse on the Israelites, the camp of the Israelites, already camped in the shape of a cross. And he starts, and what comes out of his mouth? I mean, a blessing. I mean, it's, you can read what came out of his mouth, and it is just so glorious and magnificent, this blessing that is pronounced upon the Israelites. Even he's stunned. And of course, uh, Balak isn't too happy with him either. Hey, uh, dude, I'm paying you big bucks to curse these people because they're growing in numbers. And what do you do instead? You just bless them. He's like, I don't know what's going on here. I, it just came out. I, I was going to pronounce a curse on them, but it didn't happen. So here's Balak saying, okay, I know. Let's go to a higher mountaintop so you have a better view of this camp so that you can pronounce the blessing. So, I mean the curse. So he goes to this high vantage point where he's got probably full view of all of those Israelites in those great numbers in that formation of that camp with the tabernacle slash Christ in the center. And what comes out? Oh, it's even better. Magnificent blessing upon the people. Why couldn't he curse them? Because of the finished work of the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation, no guilt, no curse for those that are in Christ Jesus. You cannot, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Why? Because of the finished work on the cross. There's no curse. There's no wrath. There's no anger. He took all of the anger, all of the curse of sin, all of the wrath on Him, and He went willingly to that cross. And He paid the price for us instead of us. And that's why today, and you've let the enemy get away with this, it stops right here, and it stops right now. Nice try, buckaroo. By the way, I checked. It's not a. It's not bad to say buckaroo. I think it's uh, Mexican for a little boy. But I digress. <laughs> so this uh, one last one, the Passover, which is what the resurrection is a celebration of, because Jesus was the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the Passover prophecy. You remember the Passover, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn son? Hmm. And if you had, by the way, I hope you'll 
stay with me and to the end. I have something so powerful I want to share by way of a testimony today concerning the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. So the Israelites were to take the blood of a Lamb that was without wrinkle, spot, blemish. They had to inspect that Lamb for four days. The exact amount of time that Jesus was on trial found to be without sin, without blemish. And then they would take that lamb, that innocent lamb, and they would slit its throat and shed its blood. And they were to take a hyssop branch, interesting, a lot of typology there. They would dip it in that blood and they would put it on the doorposts of their house so the angel of death would pass over them. They would be saved. And that blood on the doorposts of their house was top, basin at the bottom, left and right in the shape of a cross. So here comes the angel of death. You got the cross. You got the blood of the lamb passes over. So this pole that Moses takes this bronze snake and puts it on, is in the shape of a cross. Just as Jesus was put on that cross to pay for in the finished work of the cross. And it even gets better because the snake was horizontal on a vertical pole. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the cross is there. How do I get there? The first five are vertical, the second five horizontal. So here's Jesus, fully man, fully God. Man, horizontal, God, vertical. And this was the only way to be saved, slash healed. Jesus is the only way of salvation. There's no other way to the Father except through Him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man goes to the Father except through me. And one more thing on this, again, it's not exhaustive. I would encourage you, if you're into typology, this is a fascinating study. But can you imagine the Israelites as these fiery serpents are biting them and killing them and poisoning them and they're dying. And then Moses says, you guys, all you have to do is look at that bronze serpent on this cross and you'll be saved. Well, that seems foolish. Ah, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Wait, you mean to tell me that all I have to do is by faith, as, as foolish as it might seem, is just look to that serpent on that cross and I'll be saved? Yeah. Yeah, it's that simple. Seems foolish, yeah? Well, to those who are perishing it is. We're so glad you joined us for this prophecy update on In Spirit and Truth. Do the things you hear about on this program cause you to feel unsettled? 
Perhaps there are too many things coming into play that make you stop and wonder if you're truly living in the end times. If that's the case, we hope that through these updates, you are reminded of God's faithfulness through His Word and that His promises will be fulfilled. This can be a benefit to you. Being around other believers can give you support regarding these things that are happening around you. If you're in the area and haven't found a church home yet, we invite you to come visit us and get to know the heart behind this ministry. You can join us for a time of worship at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. If you'd like more information on joining us or for additional resources, go to jdfarag.org and scroll to the bottom of the page. That's J-D-F-A-R-A-G dot O-R-G. There, you'll find a Calvary link that will take you to the church's website. While you're at our website, be sure to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D. Another interesting point of reference is a tab that says ABCs. This is useful for anyone seeking and wanting to find out more about Jesus and His love for you as an individual. That's all available at our website. Again, that's jdfarag.org. Our time with you is up for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. Join Pastor JD for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.